Lots to, uh, to talk about this morning from John 17. Um, I want you to imagine yourself at the end of your life. And as you are approaching the end of your life, God has somehow, at the, in, in somewhere in your life, has told you that you know the hour has come when you are about to die. He's revealed to you somewhere in your journey that your time is at hand. The hour that you are about to die is here. You know exactly how it's going to happen. You know the characters that are going to play a part. And you certainly know the time. What would you be doing? What would you be doing with your time? What would you be doing with your words? Who would you be hanging out with in those moments? Because that's the moment that we find Jesus in right here. If you remember, we're in John 13 through 17. I've been there literally since the 13th of January. Here we are, almost end of March, and we're still in the last night of Jesus' life. Except now we're at the, the back end of 13, 14, 15, 16, and now this beautiful prayer in 17. He's done instructing them on the things that he wants them to know, and now he is praying for an entire chapter of Scripture. So where would you be at the end of your life if God had told you that your hour is here. You wouldn't be wasting time, right? You probably wouldn't be doing things that you didn't want to do, nor would you be doing them with things that you, with people that you don't want to do them with. You would be doing the exact thing that was at the top of your priority list with the people. You wouldn't be worried about like kicking people out of the table that don't belong. You would only want those that would receive whatever it is that you would want to give them in that moment. As we find Jesus at the end of his life, literally the last things that he's going to say in the presence of his uh, disciples until he gets arrested, until they go off, and, and all that we'll talk about here in the next coming weeks. But he is exactly where he wants to be, in the most valuable city in the world, Jerusalem. He's exactly with whom he wants to be with, the most valuable people that he can find on the earth, the 11, not the 12, the 11. And he's saying these most valuable things. So what would you pray for? If you were going to pray in those moments, what would you pray for? Wouldn't you ask God like, to accept you towards the end of your life? Lord, Lord, accept me into your presence. Wouldn't you be praying for those types of things? And, and if, you're, if, if you're gathered around those, by those people that you love the most, wouldn't you also be praying, Lord, for them? Or would you, would you help them? Would you, would you do some things for these people and also for those people that they're going to affect? Maybe it's generations of people that would be around your bedside as you think about this. Maybe it's your kids and the generations that would come after your kids. That's exactly what Jesus does in John 17. It's a generational prayer. Generation after generation after generation of Christians. This passage that we just read, that we'll kind of dip in and out of as we go throughout our day, was known as the Holy of Holies of Scripture. When you think about Holy of Holies, this is the place in the temple that they, that they would literally tie a, a rope around the priest's ankle in case he got struck dead by God himself. And if he were struck dead in the Holy of Holies, they needed to yank him out of that place. So that's why they tied a rope to his ankle. And so today is that day. This holy of holies of scripture, John 17, the son praying to the father about very specific things. But not like things that we encounter on a Monday or a Tuesday. Like glory, 
holiness, the Trinity is all in here. Like, you don't think about these things like, I mean, I don't know, I'm going to respond to this email. How might I do that? Let me think about glory and holiness and the Trinity real quick before I respond. We don't, it's not something that's in a part of our normal everyday life. And so I'll just be really candid with you. We try every week to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I talked to the team earlier and like, well, what does that mean? It means that we make the, the goods accessible to everyone. That's what we try to do every week. I, I gotta tell you, I tried my best this week. There's, the content just doesn't allow for it, okay? This is the holy of holies. This is the trinity. This is like holiness of God. And so we're all gonna have to stand on our tippy toes a little bit today. You good? Y'all are all sitting me going, I don't even know what that means already. And we're five minutes into this. My fear today is that you guys would look at me at the end of this and go, I think Lance knew exactly what he was talking about, but I have no idea. It's a true fear, so just pray for me as we get going here this morning. But look, this is what Jesus prays for. If you could just break it down, I'm going to thematically preach through this, not verse by verse. So hang with me as we go through this, because I think there's a lot of beauty in what Jesus is praying, even thematically. But breaking it down, just if we were to go verse by verse, he prays for himself in the first five verses. Verses 6 through 19, he then prays for the disciples that are following him truly on the earth. And then 20 to the end of the chapter, he's praying for not yet believers that would come to know him as a result of those first disciples' witness. That's you and me. So if you ever want to know what Jesus is praying for you truly even now, that Hebrews 7 says that he lives to intercede for you. He is praying for you right now. He's praying for you on Friday at midnight as much as he is on Sunday at 10.45. He is living to intercede for you. And if you ever want to know what he's praying for, man, this is the chapter to understand God's heart for his people. So as he prays for himself, his disciples, and for the not yet believers, as he does that, there is one main theme that I want you to see this morning. And that is this. Jesus is prayed up so that we could be sent out. He is praying up. He's praying himself up so that we could be sent out. That's the entire message. If you leave with nothing, you can go to lunch and go, I know he said this. Jesus is prayed up so we can be sent out. And then you can just, that's it. That'd be a great day. But here's the, re here's the reason why this is kind of the theme that rises to the top. Jesus' mission is almost over, and before he goes, he begins to pray, and he doesn't pray silently. He prays out loud for the benefit of all those around him, right? They're, they're listening to him pray. Right? Most of us, we think, well, I'll pray, but I'm not praying out loud. Because there's some sort of intimidation factor there that someone might judge us. And Jesus is praying out loud for the benefit of all those that were around him. He could have easily prayed this silently, but intentionally he does so out loud. And I'll just say this, like if you, that's like his default position. If you ever want to know why Jesus is doing the way things that he's doing them, his default position is that because he loves us. Everything Jesus does and did was for the benefit of of others. So he's praying out loud for our benefit. He didn't have to pray out loud. He did so so that we could learn, so that God's people for all time could see what God's heart is truly like. There's a lot of grace in that, just inherently a lot of grace. And today we have to see this first and foremost. 
Jesus was sent on a mission. His mission is almost over. But we kind of sometimes imply or just assume that we know that he was sent on a mission. What was Jesus' mission? If we could think about what truly is the mission of Jesus, it's found in John 3, 16 and 17, which you're probably discipling your kids at some point to memorize, or you should be. John 3, 16 and 17 say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, for God did not send. Jesus was not created in John 1. He was sent from heaven. That's a big difference. And will cut like between all kinds of people that you love and know and that are your neighbors. Not created. Sent. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And right here in John 17, verse three, it would say this about his mission. And this is eternal life. He wants to give us eternal life, that he would, anybody who would believe in him that would have eternal life, what does that mean? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Look at this theme. Just in this passage, I'm gonna read all these verses, so hang with me. I want you to see this theme that jumps out at the top of things. Verse three, we just read. Verse eight, look at what it says. For I have given them the words, talking about the disciples, that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 18, going down. As you sent me into the world, who was sent? Jesus was sent into the world, so now I have sent them into the world. He's praying up so that we might be sent out. Verse 21, praying for them that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's not just enough to say that Jesus was a really good dude. He is sent from God, the Father. He's not done. Verse 23. Oh, I just read that one. Verse 25. Right? Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. There are specific things that God wants us to know about himself. First and foremost, that Jesus was sent from the Father. And he was sent on a mission. And that mission was to renew, recreate, redeem all that was lost. If you go back all the way back in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, God created all things and called them very good. And then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve messed the whole thing up and we would have done the same thing. They trusted the creation instead of the creator. The creation being the serpent instead of the creator who is their father, God. And ever since Genesis 3, And even before Genesis 3, God has been working this beautiful plan to redeem and to purchase his people back from the dead, to bring them alive, and he would do so through sending Jesus to the earth. So before Jesus' mission is over, he prays to be glorified. Did you guys catch that? Did you guys catch that in verse five? So before the foundation of the earth, God had glory, Jesus had glory, and look at what what verse five says. 
Again, this is the theme, right? Jesus is accomplishing his mission. He's finishing his mission, and now he's praying one thing for himself. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is a big topic, big, high thinking. What is the glory of God? How did Jesus have glory that was different on the earth than in eternity past? We were talking about eternity, glory, holiness, trinity, all kinds of things right here in John 17. But this is it, right? Jesus was despised while he was on the earth. Don't don't, don't romanticize what he went through while he was here. He was homeless. Do you know any homeless people? You, no, we don't make, make eye contact with homeless people. Right? We don't. We, we look at, oh, oh, I got my phone, I got to do something. Oh, yeah, Ooh, look at that email. That's really important. That same email that was staring at you earlier is still now staring at you. But Jesus was home. He was despised while he was on the earth. He is known as the man of sorrows. Let's not romanticize or idealize what that must have been like for them. Rejected in every town they went to. People coming to him and going, I need, I need, I need. And then when he disappoints them, they go, I want to kill you. So he's ending his life. And now he's saying, oh man, I want the glory that I once had before I came here. And if you think about like how you feel at the end of a long day, you're just exhausted, right? You've poured yourself out, 14 hours of work, ain't nobody understood what you've done, and you just want to go home and watch Netflix and hopefully just, ugh. See, we think Jesus is doing that right here, and there's a little hint of that. But more than anything, he is praying this prayer. Again, everything that God is doing is for someone else's benefit and not his own. And when he's praying for God's glory to be returned to himself before, like before the foundation of the world, he's doing that for us. Look at verse 24. Is it 24? Yeah. Father, I desire that they also... That's us, that we, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am in eternity to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Again, this idea of eternity past, that you would give me glory back that I once had. Why? So that others could see how glorious I truly am. Why was that important? In Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus came to the earth. He submitted himself to the form of a servant. He, he emptied himself of the rights to sit on the throne. And he says he did not grasp or cling to the deity that was his. Instead, laid it down, all the rights to deity. Still per- perfectly God, still perfectly human, but came to the earth and served us, even to the point of death on a cross. And if we only look at Jesus' life, we might think, man, that is like humble and beautiful. But there's this other part of it that makes it even greater. I want you to turn in your Bibles in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, because there's this guy named Isaiah that has seen the glory of God. He saw the glory of Jesus. In John 12, it says that Isaiah saw the Son of Man. He saw Jesus in heaven and what he was really like. And it ruined him. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. 
This is just one example of what happens when we stand in the holiness of God. For Moses, he was immediately ordered to take his shoes off. And for Isaiah, this is his experience as he sees the Lord sitting upon his throne. Look at what he says right here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is Jesus he sees. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Seraphim are angels. They had six wings. Two they covered their face because they couldn't look at him. Two they covered with their feet. And two with two they flew. And one called to the other. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's the kind of glory that Jesus is looking for. The fullness of glory over all the earth. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah responds in this terrifying scene in scripture. Woe is me. I'm about to die. It's over. I've seen it and he's going to take me out. For I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There's nothing about me that's deserving of this. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim, the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. You mean the lips that were unclean? Yes. And the holiness of God is going to now go touch an unclean person and make the unclean person clean, healed, whole, forgiven. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It doesn't end because verse 8's right there. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. God's glory and God's mission going hand in hand all throughout scripture. God's finishing his mission and he wants us to see him for who he truly is. Why? Because it will change us. It will right size us. Don't we think we're more significant than we really are? Like the days that you like, do you ever quit a job? Anybody ever quit a job in here? No, just, just me. Apparently, I'm the only quitter. Okay, good. There's two of us. All right, so if you ever quit a job, one of the things that probably goes through your mind is like, man, I don't know how they're going to handle it without me. <laughs> or you go on vacation, you're like, I don't know if I can go on vacation because I don't know how they're going to handle it without me. <laughs> they're going to handle it just fine. That's how they always, the email will get, it'll get taken care of. Like the project will get taken care of. We are not that actually significant in this world. Oddly enough, the machine keeps rolling. I can't believe that I just went, by the way. <laughs> We're really comfortable in here today. I couldn't even finish my thought. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, we get right-sized. We're no longer the most important person on the planet. We are right Size. When you go see the mountains and you see the glory of God in creation, you look at them and you're like, I'm teeny tiny. We went on the men's retreat. I sat in the middle of whatever river was flowing around us and looked at Steve and I go, dude, 
I just feel right-sized right now. This is beautiful. This is power. I got no power. This is power. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, the anointed son of God, full of grace and full of truth, he has been given authority over all things. It says it right there in verse three, that he was given authority over all flesh, right? And this is, oh no, sorry, verse two. Since you have given him, Jesus, the authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. He's been given authority over all things. He is the conqueror of sin, evil, and death. We can't get over one sin and Jesus has conquered all of our sins. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe and all universes, however many there are. He is high and lifted up above all powers and authorities and thrones. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father and yet someone who has come down to our tiny little world and seen us in need. And so I want to be your friend personally, not just to a crowd. Peter, huh, you know me? Philip, I'm sorry, you know me? Yeah, I saw you in that tree, bro. Long before. Oh. He personally calling us to himself. Hannah, come to me. Personally calling us to himself. Big and small. We talked about this earlier today in our little meeting. We have a little pre-huddle meeting. And one of the, I was like, what do you need to be reminded of right now? One of the, Christina was like, you know what I love right now? He's huge and he's, he's, he's this big. He's holy and he's close. Praise God for that. When God's people see God's glory and by God's grace, we realize just how forgiven we truly are, we will be sent out on God's mission. Said negatively, we will never go out on God's mission if we don't seek the glory of God. If we don't realize how forgiven we truly are. And so for the next however long, we're out on God's mission because he says, just as I have been sent, so now you are sent. Jesus has a mission. The issue is, the problem is, Jesus' mission has an enemy. Okay, this is the big theme. He has a mission. Second part of this theme is that Jesus' mission has an enemy. Read with me in John 17, 11 and 12. Look at this enemy, what he's gonna try and do to us. Jesus is praying, he's continuing to pray. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. In verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. That guy's name was Judas. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There is an enemy to God's mission, and God's solution for us is that we would be kept, guarded against the enemy. Jesus' main concern is not whether or not the disciples' marriages are going to last. It's not whether or not their kids eat organic. 
Like, this is what we talk about, right? It's not, it's not whether or not their kids or, or their, their marriage is run smoothly 100% of the time or if their kids are gonna suffer in public school or private school or homeschool or whatever it is that's kind of driving our conversation. It's not that we eat organic again or that we eat uh, paleo or what's the other one, keto. I did not today. I had lots of uh, kolaches this morning. It was beautiful. Uh, or how we're gonna taxi our children around from one sport to the next why am I talking about that right now? We're talking about the glory of God and Jesus is praying about God's glory being revealed in our lives that we would be sent out on mission and how much time do we spend managing all the fruit on the tree? Oh, this is a bad orange. Why is, this, why is this orange bad? I don't know. Well, there's another bad orange. Why is this orange bad? I don't know. Hey, this one's over here is bad too. Why is, that, why is that bad? I don't know. But I bet you we do something with these leaves, we might be okay. That's not how it works. He's saying go back to the root of the whole problem. Jesus wants us to distract, or the enemy wants us to be distracted managing all this fruit on the tree and Jesus is saying, no, be kept. Be kept in the name of Jesus. Be focused in on, on glorifying God instead of all this other stuff. How can we glorify God? How would our lives change if we prayed for God to use all the things in our lives for his glory. How would it change your week? Lord, use this carpool for your glory. Lord, use this decision about schooling for your glory. And all this, what I love about this is that he never tells, he never asks his father to keep us safe. He never asks us, he never asks his father to keep us comfortable. He says, keep them in your name. Keep them. I've guarded them while here, I'm about to leave. Father, keep them while I'm gone, which is a long time. Keep them. How is it that we will be kept? Two ways. Number one, we will be kept by God's word. Read with me verse six. I have manifested your name to whom you've given me out of the world. Yours they were, you've given them to me, and they were kept, and they have kept your word. We are kept in the world by keeping God's word. The way that we are kept in this world, not that we are taken out of the world, is by keeping God's word. The second way that we are kept in this world is if we keep God's purposes. Read with me 17 through 19. Verse 16, actually. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In verse 17, Sanctify them, set them apart for my purposes of holiness. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I now have sent them into the world. Verse 19. And for their sake, you see how he's, he's doing everything for our benefit. For their sake, I consecrate myself. I, I, I set myself apart for your purposes, Father, that they also may be set apart in truth. Jesus is praying for us that we would be kept in this world, not kept from the world, not kept out of the world, but while sent as missionaries in this world, we do life set apart for him. We do it differently than the world around us. The way you manage money should look differently than your neighbors. The way that we work should look differently than our neighbors. I think it's a student Sunday, so I'm just going to drop the S word. Like, the, the, how, how we view sexuality is different 
than how, we, how our neighbors view it. How we view marriage is different than how our non-believing neighbors are gonna view it. So yeah, like, am I gonna go home and serve my wife on a Friday night or am I gonna go out with the boys? I'm gonna go home and serve my wife on Friday night because it's the same Monday through Sunday. It's different. Doesn't mean you go out, don't go out with the boys sometimes. Of course you do. But you do that for the glory of God too. See, everything is set apart. That's what he's saying. As they're in the world, sent out as missionaries, everything gets done differently. You don't separate yourselves from it. You see the chaos, you enter into it, just like Jesus entered into the chaos of our lives, and we do it set apart for God's purposes. Every area of our lives, every room in our heart, every crevice of every corner of the cave that we have created where we like darkness, Jesus is coming in with a headlamp and a torch and going, hey, look at this in here. I love all this. I want to make it mine. All of us, every single part of us, our money, our vacation, our parenting, our marriage, our entire worldview. Jesus' plan to change the world by taking his people out of the world and then sending them back into the world so that he might slowly push back the darkness with the light is through you. That's his plan. Or maybe you're someone who still prefers the darkness. And maybe you're here because someone invited you. Rest assured, that person has been sent as like the cave diver into your life to try and figure out where the darkness is so that they can just invite Jesus to live there. And that you would both worship him and be on mission together. That's why he's praying for us to be kept from the enemy. And this enemy has one main strategy. Jesus has been sent on a mission. Jesus' mission has an enemy. And his strategy, the enemy's strategy, is disunity. How do we know that? Because there's one thing that Jesus prays for for you and me. Really one main thing. Yes, that we would be kept. Yes, that we would be guarded. Yes, that we would make our lives holy to him. But as he switches gears and prays for us who would believe generations down the line, he's praying for one thing. Oneness. Unity that we would be unified. It's as if he knew that we would fight about dumb stuff. And as our big bro Jesus, praying to our Father, is now sending his spirit to help us, right? Counsel us, correct us. The Holy Spirit in each other, he knows that we're just gonna bicker and fight as brothers and sisters in a big old family, a big blended family. You ever been in a blended family? Like we heard, we heard some of it today, right? With a Kohlberg, Paris, I'm an, I came from a blended family. It's just messy. Like you can do all things right and it's just, it's just, it, it's wonky. Yeah, we got an amen, all right. It's just wonky, right? And so that's what this is. It's this one beautiful blended family. We're all step bros and, and stepsisters and, and yet we're all unified in the blood of Jesus with one father. And yet we don't quite understand why we do this, that, or the other. We don't have the common history of being like, oh, I know why it's that way, because dad did this, 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 and this. I know why it's that way, because mom did this, this, and this. There's a history that we're still sharing and learning and discovering. And what God is saying is, don't worry about all that. Focus on one thing. 
be unified in the common mission to glorify God. If you will focus on the glory of God, you will be unified. As soon as we start focusing on what I want, what I desire, and how dare they, we will be disunified. And the enemy is stirring that up on a constant basis. Yes or no? Anybody in a neighborhood group? True? True. Enemies just stirring that water up constantly. And Jesus is saying, no, no, this is the one thing that we can be unified in. It is the mission of God to glorify himself. So unity is not this lowest common denominator where we all just kind of find one thing to agree on. Is that grass green? Yes, it is. We're unified. That's not what unity is. Second, uh, unity is not found out um, or away from others. I think a lot of us think that unity is um, we find peace away from drama or differences or preferences. And so we find unity because it's just over here with just these select few people. That's not unity. That's something, but it's not unity. It's, 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 it's good, but it's not awesome. So how can we re-enter this broader picture and be unified? Not because we all think the same, we all look the same, we all believe the same. Because the kind of unity that Jesus is drawing out for us is this, and this is where I'm gonna lose 99% of you. It's this Trinitarian unity. Within the Trinity, all right, now I just said the word. Now you're all going, I don't know, I don't know. Dial in. Within the Trinity, there is one God, three persons, eternally existing. They are eternal persons of the Trinity. He's one, and yet he's many. There's a diversity inside the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. They're different but they're all one God. They're unified, right? That's the kind of unity that God wants for his people. He says, just as I in you, and you in me, and them in us. He's saying celebrate diversity, but be unified underneath the common banner of God's love for us. See, that's the kind of unity that God's calling us towards. If you think about it, Think about like a family. You have one family and then you've got a mom and a dad and kids. And that's not the Trinity because I don't want to simplify it in that way, but it's kind of like the Trinity. There's one family and yet three persons, so to speak. And the way that we can be unified in that family is if we have a common purpose, a common plan. And for us, it is the love of God as we glorify him. This common mission to glorify God is our unifying desire. That is what Jesus started his prayer with. Father, glorify me with the same glory in your presence as I had with you before the foundation of the world. And it is where it ends that we would be captured by that glory of God. Live for the glory of God and be a people who live and love with the purpose and mission with which Jesus loved. So we're left with three questions. Will we pray for God to be glorified in our lives? Will we pray for comfort? Will we pray for success? Will we pray for a lack of suffering? Will we pray that he just takes it all away? Or will we pray, Lord, come what may, but may I bring you glory along the way? If that's the first question, will we pray for the glory of God throughout this whole thing? Second, will we pray that God would give us hearts to believe God at his word by being a people that keep his word? If we're going to be a kept people in the world, we must be a people that keep God's word. And third, 
Will we continue to allow non-essentials to get in the way of the kind of, kind of diverse unity which God has modeled out for us and called us into? Will we let little things get in the way of the unity for which God has called us to? Those three things I hope we're praying for throughout the week, and they would capture us as we get captured into this mission of glorifying God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lots of words. Did you pray for us? Lots of ideas, big lofty ideas, this holy of holies idea that we've come before you in this holy place. You've not struck us dead. You've instead come to us and sanctified us, made us holy, made us pure, made us clean, forgiven us. And then you look at us and you say, so who will go for us? Father, as a result of seeing the glory that is found in your son Jesus, I pray that we would, we would answer, we would just raise our hand and say, yeah, I'll go. And that doesn't mean going across the ocean. It might mean going across the ocean to Zimbabwe or to Thailand or South Asia. It might mean going there. That, that could definitely be what it means. Maybe it just means going across the street or across the aisle. Maybe it's across a chair right in here. Maybe it's over lunch. Lord, as we go throughout our week, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to see just exactly how it is that you have already put us on mission. You, you, you said it. It's your promise. You will send us out. And I pray that we would see that, that we would know what you're doing, have some glimpse of discernment, just pause our lives so that we can look up from our phones for just a moment to see the, the lostness and the hurting And listen for how the gospel applies. How is it applied in our lives? May we engage knowing that we are a fully forgiven people. We're gonna mess it up and you, that is your plan. And we're gonna walk in faith and trust for what you want for us. Lord, as we respond about how beautiful you are, I pray that we would see you, that we would know you, and in our knowing that you have sent your son Jesus, that you would also know that you've sent us. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen.